That's awesome. I was looking at all these pictures and I was trying to find you know anything cool. And as soon as I saw Ted Nugent there, I was like, I'm just going to start the whole podcast off like that. I was like, <laughs> yeah. well, tell me about that show. Tell yeah. me about my own Ted Nugent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, man. Well, let's see. So the Ted Nugent jam that we had, that came, Montgomery Gentry, we were... Uh, the album, Some People Change, was out then. We've been running pretty hard. So that was a CMA fest. And uh, so what they did, I think the label, um, since Eddie and Troy was with Columbia, I'm not sure if Ted was with Columbia, maybe Cesare area of Columbia, maybe. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But he was going to be down in Nashville to do uh, play at the Opry. He was doing a show at the Opry. So his management reached out to uh, Eddie and Troy's management and said, hey, yeah. Ted looked down the line and wanted... So Montgomery Gentry was playing, and he said he would like to do a song with you guys. Would that be cool? And they were like, heck yeah, man. What song do you want to do? And they're yeah. like, he said, Cats Crash Fever. Sweet. So we're like, that's <laughs> awesome, man. Bring it on. So so that's how we had. And then we got emails that he sent personally to um, Johnny Doris at the time, uh, Eddie and Troy's management. And it said, boys, we will kill. You know, and we're like, if there was a way to frame an email, that's the one. Yeah. You, know, you can print it out on a piece of paper. Like, yeah, but this was, we will kill. So, uh, you know, fast forward, we didn't, uh, I think Troy and Eddie did some photos with him early in the day before the event. Yeah. And he was cool. They just sat down, shook hands, oh, hey, man, man. talk about whatever, you know. Yeah. And, and I mean, then, he just seems like watching him, you know, listen to his stuff. And uh, he just seemed like he'd be the kind of cat that. You'd want to sit down and yeah. you know, obviously can't have a beer with him. He doesn't. I don't guess he doesn't. You'd definitely yeah. be entertained. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, he was cool, man. I mean, you know, for me, it was a. It was like he's one of my. Hype, I mean, idols. I saw him in concert, yeah. Rupp Arena down in Knoxville. You know, and uh, was into his music. His drummer Cliff Davies, which was his uh, guy that he had on the early records. It was a big influence, you know, yeah. uh, the way he played, the groove of how he played, right. <clears throat> the play, the way he played the rock, uh, Ted's rock. But um, so we're playing Cash Crutch Fever. And, uh, you know, um, we were having in-ears. We're listening to inner monitors. And everything's pretty well leveled. And so Ted's got this PV-412 cabinet. It's right between, because we're on a split riser. I'm a drum riser to the left of the stage. And our keyboard player, Eddie Kilgallen, was on the right side of that. So in the middle, where Eddie and Troy kind of do their walk-in entrance, but they put Ted's 412 guitars right there. You know, nice. I've heard some loud guitar amps, man. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> so anyways, I, you know, he goes into it, and I swear to God, I mean, I could not hear nothing else but that guitar. Over, my, I, had, I couldn't, my teeth were rattling. It was so loud. <laughs> and I was scared to death, like, man, I can't hear nothing. But, <laughs> and I'm just like, I mean, my teeth was rattling. And I'm like, wow. oh, man. So we go into it. And then, you know, this thing I realized, like, man, I'm playing Cast Crash Fever with Ted Nugent. Yeah. Right. And I was just digging it, you know, like, this is awesome. So we get done, and then, uh, you know, we end it, and we do the big crash and burn, and it was, we play with Ted, man. And he walks off the stage, and then uh, he had mentioned to our road manager, because he's like, that band. He goes, man, them boys have got some black in them. He goes, so they can groove. <laughs> so we were really like, man, that's, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. So he left, and I think what happened was, normally they, they, they would air those segments on yeah, ABC. Yeah. Was it like Crossroads or something? No, it wasn't Crossroads. It was uh, uh, ABC's Night to Rock. Hmm. That's what they called it. But they couldn't air Ted because he didn't sign his paperwork <laughs> to allow it to be released. So they, they didn't air our thing. We're like, oh, man, man. If, if all the bands that night, yeah. you know, the Night to Rock, man, we got that was it. Ted. Sure you did. Yeah, we didn't see it on television. Yeah, yeah but it was, you know, that's where that picture came from, man. And, uh, it was cool just to play with Ted, you know. So that was some good things with Montgomery Gentry that uh, 
little things like that that you know come out of left field. You do some gigs, special um, moments. Yeah, you pair up with people or just meet them in weird situations. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, George, you've been down there enough with them in Nashville to <laughs> you've run with us. I mean, it, it was a uh, it's like going through boot camp. Uh, you know, I don't know. Boot camp might be a little bit easier than some of the stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was it was a challenging time. I mean, you know, I, I I loved it. We had a great time, man, and nothing bad about it at all. Other than you know, when you get gone on you're on the road and traveling, yeah. that does take a toll on you. Even if you're taking care of yourself, and we did. I mean, you know, nobody's idiots. You could only get away with drinking, and partying so much, and. Um, we kept it in check. your body, yeah. I mean, even if you don't want to, your body says no. You got, you got. To yeah, you got. Yeah, I mean, you have your moments. You know, the days off were the celebration days, and uh, and you know, we were usually in places that they we were just middle of nowhere, man, and there was nothing to do. Right. And, yeah. You know, you'd rest, um, and you'd be really tired, especially when you travel. You know, those yeah. the time zones. I, I think one of the trips I went with you, I think it was like Maine. Or yeah, some, something crazy like at a Fox Theater or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I want to say because uh, I was playing Austin City at the time. I was the house band at the time, and, and yeah. somewhere in Virginia, <laughs> I called uh, Mama Tish to tell her I wouldn't be there. It was like a Wednesday, and we played Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I said, "Hey, I'm not gonna be there this weekend." I said, "I'm somewhere in Virginia." I, had, I remember I asked Bo. I said, "Man, where are we at?" Yeah, I don't know, somewhere in Virginia. Well, they <laughs> God, they love kidnapping people. They thought it's funny as can be, man. And I know every chance they could kidnap you, they do it. You know, if you're on the boat, we got mobile. Let's let's uh, yeah, let's, let's take, take him in the back. He'll never take him in the back. That's what happened. Yeah. I sit in the back of the bus talking to Bo. And they <laughs> He's just rolling. Where, where are we going? It's too late, man. Yeah. When that bus is rolling, it's too late. You yeah. can't get off the doors are locked. You're on the road. But it was magical, you know, um, just Kentucky boys coming out yeah. of here in Lexington. Well, John, Michael, you know, yeah. you know, we started all that. And that was an exciting time here in Lexington, man. And see, it was 90s. See, I came to Lexington. Um, I'm from Corbin, Kentucky, down in Barberville, Kentucky, really. My parents were from there. Hydric, so I went to Knox Central and Corbin High School. And then I went to UK for a little bit, man, and... When I was in UK, I, I was doing graphic design stuff and uh, didn't really play music. And then I do remember uh, going down to Two Keys and seeing some yeah. bands. Yeah. Um, and then was like, man, these are some pretty good musicians, you know. And then not until I started to come up here, um, I had played in a guy, in Mark Gerke, Frankfort, Kentucky. He had a band called Axis. Jay Hammond played bass. And um, it was a heavy metal band. So I was, wow. I was 18, 19. Okay, I was probably t- I was twenty twenty one years old, so I was I was able to get in the bars, and um, started playing with those guys, and met Charlie Crow and Charlie's Garage, and came and started playing with yeah. those guys. Tim Tuning is <clears throat> a drummer, just fantastic, one of the best drummers in the world. And Tim was so talented, he's like, well, I'm going to do other things. And he went with another band called Quadra from Lexington. Now these were cover bands, you know, because there was a lot of good original music too. Um, but when I came to Lexington Manor off the bat, going to Breedings, yeah. you had Brass Ass, Brass Ass Saloon on Richmond Road, and then you had Breedings. Right. You know, that was a, those were the showcase to see bands, and everybody that played there was great. So the first night I go in to see the band was Doug Breeding and the Bunch, yeah. you know, Dwight Dunlap and Rex Hart, and just just phenomenal, man. I was like, good God, look at these guys, you know. Yeah. And, and my dad, my dad was a drummer. He played with Brenda Lee in the 60s. It's kind of how it led to I'm a drummer. Yeah. My dad was a drummer. Let's let's stop there real quick because we're, we're covering a lot of ground real early, but you're listening to Weekend Superstars. My name's John McHugh. 
George Moulton. And you are also listening to Mr. Tony Hammonds. So go ahead and continue about how you became a drummer there. That's, well, that sounds pretty interesting with Brenda Lee there. Your yeah, dad, your dad. Yeah, well, dad, my family was musicians too. The Hammonds side of my family. Uh, my grandfather played guitar a little bit, and uh, he had a radio show when he was, uh, I think this was in the late 50s. And he was also, my grandfather, he served in the Navy, World War II, and then he became, a, he got in law enforcement, was with, it was a, a division of forestry. He was the chief down in Knox County area. Yeah. So he did that, but he played guitar. That was yeah. his little love, you yeah. know, and he liked the Texas swing stuff. Did you, did oh, you yeah. Did? yeah. He was a lefty that played, but didn't switch his strings around. So, you know, yeah. and I've still got some of his guitar, I've got his Dixon. And um, so he, uh, dad played as a kid, played on his radio show, so he learned to play drums. And dad was into Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa, the jazzy guys. So that was his big deal. Yeah. So then I say around 69, 68, um, uh, my mom and dad said we were married. And they were married young. Dad was 19, mom was 16, and I was born. <laughs> You know, and then uh, don't tell uh, all these yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so dad, they, uh, he went. Dad moved up immediately. They moved. They graduated high school. Dad, uh, see, they moved to around Warren, Michigan, outside of Detroit. And um, dad got up there and became a. I think he was a real estate agent. So they at the real estate agency, then they had dictaphones, you know, real to real recorders. Yeah, yeah. And this was in '67, maybe. And Dad would take those, and then this band that played locally up there was this guy named Jack Rainwater and the Peppermints, and they were kind of like a Ricky Ricardo, sure. but not uh, Cuban music. You yeah. know, it, was, it was big yeah. band music. I mean, big music. It was yeah. a big, huge band, and this guy was a band leader. And Dad would go in that club, and he said, I'm, he, I mean, I'm better than that drummer. So he recorded their set with that dictaphone thing. He going to record their show, and he became friends with the guitar player eventually. And then uh, the baby, what I say, but Ray Charles was the big song. Yeah, had that Latin oh, yeah. beat. You know, Ringo took it on. I feel fine with the Beatles. So yeah. it was that was a level of you can play that. You must have it going on right. as a drummer then. So Dad could play that pretty good. So um, guitar player Dad made a bet with his cat. He said, "I get up there and play that song better than your drummer." And the guitar player was like, "Yeah, Jack." My dad was named Jack Hammonds. Yeah. He said, you can't do that. I don't want to embarrass you. He said, let me get up there. I'll show you. So 100 bucks then was a lot of money. You oh, know, yeah. to come. What year? 67. Yeah. So dad told me, he said, yeah, so. And my mom told me this story too. She wasn't there. <laughs> but dad got up there and whipped off that song. And then Jack Raymond, the band leader, was like, okay. He said, uh, <laughs> what else do you know? And dad said, count them off. So he finished the set. Wow. Yeah, see. So they hired him. Yeah. Jack said, well, you did pretty good, man, so I'm going to hire you. And, and he hired Dad right off the bat. They fired the drummer that night. Wow. <laughs> so Dad said, well, you know, so all of a sudden I'm playing in this band, a really good band. And they were called the Casuals, named the band. But Jack rang on the Peppermints. And so the, the band, the Peppermints, also called themselves the Casuals. And Brenda Lee's husband had, was the manager for her and came into that club and saw them play. And she needed a band to go overseas to US, do a USO tour yeah. Um, yeah. Japan. <clears throat> and um, I think they went to Vietnam too. So that's a dad. He was like 21, 22 years old then. And so next thing you know, she picks him up and this band is going overseas with Brenda Lee. Dang. They play the Budokan. And he was gone for like six months. So just, meantime, just by sitting in with a band one night. Yeah, and getting in, and, and he was in it. But this was like six months after that. You know, they had been they were a really good band. Yeah. And um, so that happened. 
And that's how dad got into music. So, I mean, from a little, ever since I was a little kid, I remember drums, you yeah. know. I remember his drums from uh, when he was playing in, in Detroit. And and uh, so, to me, that was always just something special, you know what I mean? And, and then my mom, she liked, she liked Elvis, you know. She liked Aretha yeah. Franklin. And um, she liked the Beatles. Dad was more into the jazz stuff, you know, yeah. uh, that kind of stuff. So, Brenda Lee then, she wasn't really country at that time. She was still a little Miss Dynamite, but she was older. But she was changing that style. But I think, though, you know, Dad had been on the road for a long time, and he was gone a while for then because they wouldn't like it as now. Yeah. You know, they were traveling a station wagon, and they flew <laughs> over there, and they were over there for a bit. So he was he finally said, I'm going to get off the road and uh, brought his drums home, and then he became a, a, a Fayette County police officer because they had Fayette County police and city. Yeah. He became county. So he did that. Got a, he got in law enforcement. He kind of gave up music. Yeah. So then I had his drums, you know. How and, old are you at this point when you start playing? Uh, this was probably around seven years old, seven, eight years old. And I remember uh, my dad, he had, uh, we had moved from, we lived in Lexington then, Lexington, Kentucky. And then I went to Dixie Elementary School, first, fourth grade, and then we moved to Townsville, Tennessee. Yeah. And Dad started, he got involved, he got his insurance business. He was an insurance adjuster from that point. And uh, so he kind of gave up his drums, but he set him up down in yeah. his basement in the house we had at the time. So I remember, you know, I could always play uh, hand stuff. And then in, in, my, in my grade school, Dixie was really cool, man. It was a progressive school. The, the grade school went to first grade, fourth grade. And we had uh, the first year... We had a music room. It was just a typical center block music room. Yeah. You know, the chairs. Then we had this teacher named Mr. Cook. He came in. And he tra- he, we came in, you know, like our second grade, and this music room transformed into this forest. It had a running brook, a bridge you walked over. Wow. All the chairs were like <laughs> these little pop. It was incredible. It was like Disneyland. Yeah. And we we're like, holy crap. <laughs> Everybody wanted to be a musician from the, you know, the kids. We got a music room. And uh, so I began to play stuff, and this teacher, he was cool, man. He taught me basics, you yeah. know, one, two, three, four stuff. And then I remember bringing stuff home, and Dad's like, who is this music teacher? What's he teaching you? <laughs> and I was like, well, he says this is what this is. So he goes, all right, he does what he's doing. And it, that's how it kind of started for me, man. And then I think I played a, a school special. It was called The song was called Up With People. Yeah. And it was a big band, you know, dump, dump, you know surf song kind yeah. of deal and that was my first performance and I thought this is it man how, how old were you when you first got paid when I first got paid I was probably 18 yeah yeah I was probably 18 and at that point um I had cause I had went to it was at UK and like I had started seeing bands and then started realizing you know I could probably do this too and find yeah. the right guys yeah and then I um, went back down and then started uh just kind of jamming with some guys I knew that were musicians. And then a buddy of mine named Roger Eaton was a guitar player. And he was one of my first, well, actually the first band was in high school was buddies of mine, David Lundy and Mike McWilliams. We called ourselves T.F. Butch. <laughs> so you can imagine what the T.F. was yeah. for. And we were like, yeah, man, we're T.F. Butch. And, you know, and I, did, I was drawing death skulls with axes as the logo, you know. Nice. I would draw these posters up with fire shooting up in the air. You know, like, you're, you know I mean? you're, you're a rock guy coming up. I mean, I, I was. It was, yeah. And, and uh, plan was, I was totally lean in high school. I was totally, yeah. I'd turn into the, you know, Kiss fan, Alice Cooper, you know, Rush, yeah. then Lizzie. Heavy metal because those drummers, it, I, I liked how they played. Yeah. But because of dad, I mean, you know, he, he played music all the time. So I was in Blood, Sweat, and Tears, uh, The Doors, Jimi Hendrix, 
uh, he liked uh, Chicago. You know, he liked oh, that yeah. kind of style yeah. of music. So he played that all the time. So I heard that a lot. Plus his Buddy Rich records and Billy Cobham. Right. And all his drumming records. Gene Krupa, Art Blakey. I mean, I just got a huge dose of that. So I love that too. Now my grandfather, my mom's dad, and he loved, you know, bluegrass and traditional country. So when I was around then, he would hear bluegrass around, especially in the morning. Mm. We'd go fox hunt. He was a fox hunter. And uh, we go fox hunting at night. You Didn't know? get a lot of drum uh, experience at that household. Not at all. <laughs> but the country, man, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm then, I'm, you know, because I knew that's country music. Yeah. It's country music. And it helped me understand the feel of the music. So sure. I remember hearing the differences in, as a kid. And yeah. uh, dad, my dad said, well, can you play that? Can you play this? Can you play that? And then he would say, you know, I can play country. He goes, you can't play country. You know, you think you can. <laughs> He said, "It's you can't play country." You know, and he, and he was right; he couldn't because it's time. It's totally different. You're keeping time, yeah, and uh, different role there. You know, and it's it's harder. And a lot of drummers overlook that and think, "Oh, I could do that." It's like it's really harder, man. It's easy to play fills over everything and come out on the one. And if you can do that, you're you know. I remember but, talking to Randy Hampton. Uh, he used to get so fired up when people would say, "You know, I can play country music." You know, and he's mm-hmm. like, "This is the only genre." where you're going to cover every time signature. Mm-hmm. You're going to cover every single style in this, and you have to be on. You know, yeah. he's like, He goes, it's I, a whole other ball game that yeah. people don't realize. I think people don't get that, because I have a hard time with stuff. Is like, You can go from, like, say, uh, like say if, if, if we're at church or something, and, and you know I, they want me to fill in with the worship band or something, and some of this contemporary stuff, man, I can't, I can't get with it. Yeah. I mean, the guys looking at me saying, "I'm like, you're, you're." I know I'm off. I can't. <laughs> it's, it's stuff's weird to me, right, right. you know. And same with bluegrass. Like I got a, yeah. a buddy that uh, got into bluegrass music, and, and where's sit, the two? Where's the four? I, I sit and try. <laughs> oh, yeah. I sit and try to play with them, and I'm like, dude, you guys are so out of time. It seems like it, sure. but they're just in. That's their thing. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's and bluegrass intrigued me because the mandolin, the role it played in. To me, that was a snare drum. You know, like yeah. when, I, when I play uh, shuffles. I'm, I'm think of the mandolin in that respect because yeah, right, it's yeah. very you know and it's really rhythmic it's so rhythmic and you can pick up as a drummer if you listen to those things you can pick up some cool rhythms and um, that's what I, I said this is the most rhythmic music without drums ever yeah. you know what I mean they, you know they and putting drums in it probably messes it up I mean you can take brushes but if you, you try to play like you know other than you know it, it's just yeah. the, you know you don't need it so that goes into what helped me understand that. And then later on, when I began playing in bars and, and then, uh, you know, copying top 40 songs yeah. and getting the feels for them, because my personal preference led toward, uh, you know, my, I had a, my uncle Rod, my dad, one of my dad's younger brothers. He had a big album collection. He started giving me some of the records he got tired of. And the first batch of records he gave me was yeah. Led Zeppelin Four, Black Sabbath, Paranoid, oh, yeah. Jethro Tull, uh, Thick as a Brick. Nazareth, Hair of the Dog, and uh, Black Oak, Arkansas, and I just, it just, Deep Purple, Machine Head, those records, I was just, every day I got home and I was just put those on, yeah. and it was just like, man, this is so awesome, you know, but to me, it was still old man rock, because I was a kid, like, oh, this, sure. is, this is my dad's age, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's good, but, you know, and then... Alice Cooper came out and it was kind of, I schools out. I was like, I'd like that. And then Radar Love yeah. had the drum solo in it. Oh, and plus, yeah. Yeah. they mentioned Brenda Lee. And Dad was <laughs> like, well, that's cool. And then, uh, you know, so then I was getting into the heavy stuff. And then, you know, Kiss comes out and it's over, man. I'm a 
full blown Kiss fan. Yeah. And then uh, had some buddies. You know, they were playing. They were younger than me, and they were actually they were playing really good country swing drums, and they were getting gigs, man. They're like, dude, if you quit playing that Kiss. And start playing this, you start working. You right. know? And I was like, "No, nah, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this down." And then I just, I kind of threw, I guess, into college, man. Until I started playing, where uh, these bands actually start playing, you know, country. Right. And they were like, "Hey, man, we're gonna play, you know, some Hank Williams Jr." And to me, that was rock because that changed my life. Where I was, I was in the metal, heavy metal, hard, <coughs> hard rock, you know, contemporary stuff, and being. In Corbin, <clears throat> we grew up, we grew up uh, hour to Lexington and an hour to Knoxville. Yeah. yeah. So we saw every single band that came through the then. Man, I was so blessed to see the greats. And, and then, uh, you know, we finally, we went to one show. It was a big, big event. And this was before these big jams were organized. This this event was in Tennessee. A bunch of my buddies, six of us just jumped in the car and took off. And it was uh, Willie Nelson headlining. I think Waylon played that day too, the Oak Ridge Boys. And Oak Ridge Boys had a drummer named Fred Satterfield, and he was playing a big double bass set of pearls. And I was blown away because I'm going into this country concert, yeah. and of course, we're going to go see Really. And dad, my dad knew Jody Payne, uh, knew Jody, uh, Really's guitar player from playing in Michigan, and they played together way back. So yeah. he knew dad. Um, but, you know, I was all fired up to go see Willie. I was like, man, this will be cool. And then uh, out comes the Oak Ridge Boys, and they and they were pretty much at the time. I would say they were probably the they were ahead. They were the most rock in this country. Yeah, I dare to say it, but they rocked that day. Yeah, and there was Fred Satisfield playing this double bass set of drums. Well, man, that is awesome. <laughs> so you know, I was like, I'm hitting in the sis direction. Yeah. So hooked that up, and then I think it was a week later, man. Some other friends went to Louisville and saw Charlie Downers Band and oh, yeah. Hank Jr. Yeah, and again. Charlie Downs man caught me off guard. You know, I'm thinking, you know, what you heard on the radio, Devil Ray right. Georgia at the time. And then they come out, they're freaking Van Halen on steroids and just yeah. blasting it, killing yeah. it. And their drummer, Jack Gavin, was one of my heroes. And I'm going, man, this, he's playing double bass. Holy crap, another double bass guy in country music. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. And they just killed it, man. And then Hank Jr. comes out and, you know, and uh, his drummer, too, at the time, was playing a big double bass set. So I loved it. I said, and my buddies were into it. And I'm yeah. like, man, this is great. So I really dug that. And then... Um, Came to Lexington, and we started working with Charlie Crow, um, and then doing some things. And of course, we went out. And we saw Doug Breedy, and got to try to be friends with Doug. Yeah. He was good to all musicians, you know, then and yeah. still is. And so we, uh, you know, we we cut our teeth, man. We were able to, you know, we had we had a break. We got a break of be able to play all those bars yeah. and learn from experience and learn to play together. Before the uh, Montgomery Gentry thing came about, was that band already together? Or was that pieced together when that happened? Well, that band kind of came around similar to how John Michael's band. So, so John, uh, around that time, you know, man, you know, George, I mean, you were you were doing it too then, and yeah. you know, Austin City was. Um, this is what like ninety. This is early nineties, early nineties, late eighty nine, early nineties. Oh, you're talking about John, okay, yeah. And, and John Michael was yeah. popping out, right. and I remember Charlie Crow calling. He said, "Hey, man, let's go to Austin City." Check out this guy, you know yeah. what I'm saying? He's like a new Garth or something. I'm like, yeah, let's yeah. go. So we do. We go out and see John and hang out with him. And John's up there playing in his guy's uh, jeans stuff to do his cowboy boots like Hank Jr. Acid you know. wash light jeans. And- oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, he had his hat. Yeah. And Eddie's playing drums for him. Right, yeah. You know, Eddie's back there just 
had had fun and he day on keyboards and uh no that was no he day wasn't in it was shan justice i think playing keyboards in yeah. shan justice and then guitar um it, 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 he had a good band man i mean we came out there and john we're like man john yeah this guy really well could be something here you know we yeah. became friends with him got to hook up with him and then i remember got to know Eddie well and uh, so that's how my relationship with Eddie became really because I remember going in we going to go see John Eddie see me walk in and then he'd say hey man get up here and sit in <laughs> then Eddie would leave yeah. he'd leave the club <laughs> yep, and I'd, there. I'd have to finish this whole night and John looked back and said man I'll just go ahead and pay you Yeah, and, and that's it was how I fun got this gig. Yeah, they, 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 they <laughs> were, those were fun times man and, and then next thing you know John uh, Estel Sowers came in and Got John, you know, John became a hit. Yeah. And, and I remember uh, that time that we knew them, you know, and me and Kevin Marks, guitar player, Kevin Marks, Carol Jones, we had a three-piece band. It was called Johnny Somebody, and we were playing just college stuff, you yeah. know, and a cover band. And, uh, you know, we were having fun doing that. And then I was married at the time, you know, just got married and just had some babies. And uh, it, was, it was doing this graphic design for a screen printing business. And, Needed some more stability, you know, in my life then. And then playing clubs was cool, but uh, we really wasn't playing full-time in the band, at yeah. the, you know, other than John, the, the college band. And so then John Michael was like, man, I think I'm going to get a record deal, and I'm going to need to put a band together. And he kind of put the word out. So I remember Charlie Crow talking about it and said, man, I think, you know, we're going to hit him, yeah. talk to him. And Tim Chinity <clears throat> drumming, and I'm like, well, man, if those guys go out, you know, there's this band. Yeah. And they did. So they pieced, Charlie helped orchestrate and got John's band, Eddie, uh, we always knew that Eddie was a great singer. Yeah. Eddie get up there and sing, we're like, man, Eddie and John, I mean, my gosh, you know. And Eddie could have been a great drummer if he had applied himself. He was an awesome country drummer. I mean, mm -hmm. two, and, two and four cross stick, I mean, he had it down. But it just wasn't his deal, you know what I mean? He, yeah. he, he did what he wanted to do. He was a great singer. So we uh, saw that John was going to take off, and then he did, man. And next thing you know, you know, I'm, we're, we're supporting those guys. Like, man, they're making yeah. it. We see John on the radio, hear him on the radio, and see him on TV. And then, you know, Charlie's calling sometimes, well, yeah, man, we're wherever we're USA and, you know, talking about the dream. He said, man, yeah, we're doing sound check, you know, and you're right. at a job going, <laughs> you know, throwing pennies and you're like, I love it. Well, good for you, man. And you, get, and, and you love him, you know, but you're like, man, that's cool. It gives you hope. Yeah. So I do remember that was the first, you know, our local buddies. Yeah, 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 man. Yeah, he's, he's rocking the Yeah. So that that happened, and then uh, the the guys that we were playing with local, so me and the Bowers brothers, Frank Bowers and Andy Bowers, we'd play together for a while, and um, and then some other members, Kevin Marks actually went to go play with John Michael, and then uh, Eddie had an event coming up, and I think what it was, man, um, their dad had just passed away from cancer, Eddie and John's dad at that time, they had done there was a um, benefit that was coming up. John was going to be the headliner. And Troy Gentry, because um, when they were doing Young Country, uh, you know, <coughs> Troy was yeah. there, part of that too. Yeah. And then Troy quit that and went to his dad's at Texas yeah. Creek over there. Yeah. And the grapevine. Yeah, the grapevine. So then I think Troy then around that time, um, all this was going down. Eddie uh, got off the road with John. He was his road manager and then Eddie came by off and decided, well, I'm going to sing. And, um, John was going to do this benefit, 
and Eddie called me and he said, Hey man, can you help me put together a band? Back me up. And we're going to do some Elvis songs. Cause he had that, he did an Elvis impersonation, which really? was really good. He yeah. had a suit. I, mean, I never heard that. I'd like to oh, see yeah. it. He did a good job, man. Yeah. And so that's what his deal was. Yeah. And we're going, okay, we'll do it. And then we decided to do some other songs. And then Troy had, um, won the Jim Beam talent contest. Right. right. And, um, so he went down and did that for them. Now what I, this is what I've heard from Troy himself. What happened to him down there was he went down there and Jim Bean, he played for Warner Brothers, a showcase. He won the contest and that was the record deal showcase. Right. So some Warner Brothers people were there to see him. But Jim Bean people were there to see him too and got him really feeling good. <laughs> feeling so good that the Warner Brothers people said, man, he's feeling too good. I think we need not to... Yeah. yeah, we need to we let him go home and feel better. Yeah, and they passed on him. I think wow. in that situation. So he was coming back, and then Eddie was like, "Well, we're going to get Troy up here," and Troy was regrouping. He's like, "Yeah, man, you know, this is part for the best." Yeah, and it was. You know, it's just some things happen, man. But I remember we were at Eddie's house that he had at the time, and we started jamming. We started rehearsing for this event. Yeah, and then um, we did it. We played it. And uh, Johnny Doris was there. It was just Eddie and Troy's. I mean, Eddie's shit. Uh, John's manager. You can trust that's good. Excuse me. Yeah. John Doris was there. It was Eddie and Troy's. I mean, uh, John's management. And then they watched Eddie get up there and Troy sing, you know. And, yeah. and I think John was like, you know what? These guys could probably do a duo project. And it kind of, because there were some other things I think if Eddie had got, had was going on, they were trying to work with someone else. It didn't quite turn out like they thought. Yeah. Troy was a good candidate and Troy was, he said, man, I'm for this. You know what I mean? Eddie yeah. could do a good job. And it just, timing was right for it, man. I mean, it, you know, um, it just, timing happened and they came in and they got people behind it. Yeah. And then next thing you know, man, we're rehearsing. And then um, we're rehearsing down in uh, Troy's mom's basement. And we had done it for a couple, we'd done it for a while, you yeah. know, everybody's putting some time in it and we all believed it, this might do something. And then, um, they were, I remember we did a lot of showcases. We went down to Nashville and we did a showcase for, um, different labels that were subsidiaries yeah. of Columbia. Yeah. And then they finally, Columbia said, man, we'll sign these guys. So they signed them and then, uh, it jumped into a whole new level, um, we were waiting, you know, like when we got a deal, but you know, yeah. we're like, well, you know, it's amazing how they were putting songs together and yeah. Hibbley Shoes came along and it was a bluegrass tune. And they, yeah, I actually heard that. You heard the, the Mike Geiger and the, the Woody Mullins. Yeah. 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 It was bluegrass tune and it was great. Yeah. But th that's what it was, man. And we heard it. And then, um, I think the producers, they, uh, Anthony Martin and Joe Skate for the producers of the first record, first two records, but the first record, you know, they came down and Joe was, um, it done Anky Break Your Heart with, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and they were discussing to us because, you know, the band, um, we were, they were using us somewhat as, uh, you know, to go over arrangements. And, right. they, and we had got songs at the time they had brought in Daddy Wants Sell the Farm. It was a Canadian writer had sent that song in and, um, Hillbilly Shoes and then uh, Lonely and Gone was the first songs we began to work up from demos yeah. and then so they were helping us out arranging them you know and cool. so I remember being down in Troy's basement and with Hillbilly Shoes we were playing it you know and they were they took a little jam box and recorded us yeah. so we would jam along with it and then we stopped and they didn't know how to end it 
And I can think, remember we were just talking about, like, we were talking about Skinner and even Norman Brothers stuff. And then, like, sometimes, like, man, you know, when the song ends, just go back into it. Yeah. So then we ended it, and I was like, let's do a count. One, two, three. And we go back and jam it. Mm-hmm. Then we did it, and they were like, man, that works out good. Yeah. So, you know, nobody got any credit. They just, part of an arrangement deal, but but we felt proud. That you, you've you've told me about that, contributing to that part before. Now, where you play pretty much freelance now, for the most part. You still play that song pretty much all the time, right? I'd say I play that song more than any other song I've ever played in my life. Is that annoying, or do you kind of wear it as a badge of honor? No, man, I think it's cool. I take it because it because what the songs become local. I mean, it's you know yeah. people know it immediately when you go into it. Yeah, and I'm like, man, that's great. And I, yeah, I play it the way I played it with Eddie and Troy, best I can. And right, you know, man, they give everybody locally credit. They do a good job of it. Yeah, you know, it's not an easy song to play. Yeah. And, and, you know, live, I mean, McGarren Gentry Band, man, you know, we were lucky. Um, Troy brought in Bo Garrett, a guitar player, and then Frank Bowers on guitar and Andy on bass. Um, Eddie had a buddy, Tad, that played keyboards at first, but he didn't stick around much yeah. long. And then when they did the first record, they had a violin on it. Yeah. And then we had Sean came in, Eddie found him at a, uh, a, a like a dance barn and down in mid somewhere in central Kentucky, but he was phenomenal, man, because yeah. he could play bluegrass and classical. Because those, you know, it's like wow. it's like the guitar guys, yeah. those violin people. It's one way or the other. They love classical and they hate bluegrass. They or vice play, versa. Some people can play a right. violin. Some people can play it, fiddle. Some people can play both. Exactly, man. It was what the second album when you <clears throat> kind of came in? It was the second album you joined up with Eddie and Troy. Well, yeah. that's the album they kept. They cut my song. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was one of the hot. That, that was a highlight of the, of the shows too, man. We that was our that was our free bird. I remember the first time I heard it is when we went on that, that one trip I was talking about, and uh, that, that's a whole other where you were kidnapped. <laughs> that's a whole other story. How the Jim Beam people can get you in trouble. So I, I feel for T Roy there because well, I just I just remember when uh, the, the night we 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 got to Maine, and I, the first time I heard you guys play it was I think it was in the. Shoot, I want to say Philly, some yeah. kind of big. We come back, you got to play the Fox Theater, then we come back down to Philadelphia and played like some kind of big biker rally. Oh yeah! But the Jim Pe- Jim Beam people, the well, reps, had been up to Maine. Yeah, and they actually followed you guys down there. So I mean, you know, I mean, there was I don't know. They came out with some kind of wine, some kind of deal. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. I remember sitting on the bus with Eddie probably at I don't know four o'clock in the morning up there in Maine, and we had the wine, you know, in our red cups on ice and oh, yeah. I, I thought man if somebody recorded this conference you know it's probably like, that's probably all it was <laughs> but I was with one of the Jim Beam reps and you all were rehearsing y'all well, sound check and whatever yeah. and you guys did it in sound check that's the first time I ever heard you guys do it live yeah yeah cause that was yeah. that second record cause we uh, yeah we we were like whenever the new record would come out man I mean the band um, when we prepared for the first record uh, once everything went in motion, you know, the records were cut. You know, the producers yeah. really worked hard with the the, the, the musicians, um, which were the cream of the crop guys, man. You know, and, and they, they took us to a place that was uh, Eddie Byers, a you know, great natural drummer, Eddie Byers. He had a studio, and um, we went down to there, and, and we ran a couple tunes. Yeah. And uh, 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 Anthony Martin and Joe did engineering on it, and we went in and cut stuff live. We did a couple songs. I still got the tape for it. But one song was called Lucky in Kentucky, and they were going to um, pitch it to the Kentucky Lottery. It never, they never did anything with it. 
we cut a couple of songs live, and I remember we got through, and Anthony and them said, "Man, these guys were pretty good. You yeah, know, they, they probably couldn't cut this record." Mm-hmm. But there was an issue. They said, "Well, do you want to be known as the McGurry Gentry Band? You know, this is yeah. Eddie and Troy. It's right. their record deal." Right. They made it clear everybody. It's like, "Guys, if you want your own record deal? Go get it. Go you know, you know." It. But this is their deal, and this yeah. is your role. This is how it is. So yeah. you know, that's how it is. That's the way it goes. And they're like, "Man, we're glad to be here." So. Um, that went away, and they were like, man, you guys will be the road band. You know, you do the songs great. So we learned the material. Um, they would cut the stuff, and then Paul Lam was the drummer. He played on Star Wars and, you know, Shania Twain. <laughs> you know, and they're like, yeah, man. Right. And he's awesome. You yeah. know, and I was so blessed to get to learn from these guys. They took me under their wing and said, man, I'm going to show you. So I took it in. I was like, dude, this is awesome. Yeah. And um, so we went in the studio to watch them cut. And then, you know, we knew immediately while they were there. And they, they did this stuff, man, insane. They were so good. And they cut it so fast. And then they'd come back. And I remember Paul had done a drum lick. And the producer was happy with it. Paul was not. He said, man, I can do something better. And Joe's like, leave it alone. Leave it alone, man. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, no, no, no. He goes, all right. I'll give you your moment. And so Paul cuts this insane, it's called a cymbal swell. And it goes, shh. I'll do it again. Shh. But he did it. He did it. Yes, exactly. And he did it with one hand. But I got to see him do it and cut it, you know, on the spot and nailed it. And you know, so every time I hear that song, I think of watching him do that. And like, man, that's insane. And they were just so cool, man. They were really good. But we saw what they did, and we're like, yeah, you know, this. There's a reason why they're here. So we went out and we went in hour long. I mean, eight hour day rehearsals, man, for like two or three weeks, all day long, just run that show over. And over and over and over. And it's repetition, you know. And then when you get on the road, you see these other bands that's been playing for a while, yeah. man. And they know. Cause they just the, go through it. What, well, the thing, I remember the first the gig they took us to to see if we could cut it live. We went out to St. Louis, this, uh, one of the Stampede events. And it was, you know, I mean, there was like 100,000 people at those things. Wow. This was in Kansas, Missouri and Kansas. <laughs> yeah. St. Louis, in that area. And we pulled in, and Charlie Downey's band was on the bill. Uh, Leanne Rhymes and Brian White were the headliners. And then there was a couple other acts. Um, but we were there, you know, we were we were opening that day. Yeah. We, we we were the first band. And we went on, like, at noon when the gates opened, so there's maybe five people in this, you know, 100,000. <laughs> yeah. Been there a lot. It, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> we're like, okay, here we go, guys. So we, we go into playing. And then I remember, because Charlie Downey was on the bill, they uh, – they had cut all night long one of Charlie's right, songs. Right. So they asked, can we play this? And they're like, oh, by all means, take it. So, you know, we're playing it. And then that was the day I got to meet Jack Gavin. Uh, he was on my drum models, you know. But yeah. they, he said, yeah, man, we were coming into catering. And we heard this band playing all night long. And he goes, and they're playing it pretty good. He goes, we're going, man, who is this? And so that was our debut. And we played. And then they said, well, these guys can play live, you yeah. know, so we can take them out. And that was our first, because we had played, man, and, and we were in, uh, you know, we'd played in clubs all our life. Yeah. You know, I've never heard an issue of hearing yourself at all. Right. So during these rehearsals, um, Joe and Anthony worked us good, man. I mean, they were like, now look, here's some things you got to notice when you're not going to hear each other on these stages sometimes. Yeah. He goes, you ain't got time to stop. <clears throat> He goes, you just got to go on the train and run with it, boys. He said, you know, he said, if you can't hear yourself, you watch Tony, you watch your count-offs, you know, it's communication here. 
And man, sure enough, you know, we're in these rehearsals and we get on that stage and we're spread out and it was just like, you're by yourself, man. And it's the it's probably one of the worst situations ever because you're yeah. wanting to be confident. Right. And be like, man, we're going to kill each other. This way, yeah. we cannot each other, but we're going to just yeah. jam. But, but the through. guy that's usually five feet away from me is, is 20 feet yeah. on the other end of his And life. you're looking at each other and everybody's eyes are deer in the headlines. And they're like, yeah, I'm scared of shit. Let's First do. time that yeah. I ever had that experience because, I mean, I'm used to playing these, you know, 12 foot 14 foot stages you know when we're all a family we're we're button shoulders and all this and then the next thing i know i'm on the stage and i'm looking at george he's in the middle and he's still 30 feet away from me <laughs> and i never felt more exposed like i don't know what to do in this situation how do i move do i do i go over there and interact with him or do i stay in my corner i can only hear me i can't hear i've got nothing yeah. else going on it took me forever to figure out how to yeah get comfortable in that situation it's experience man i think because you know the more you do it it's just you get used to it yeah and, and then for myself i just knew that because i was a drummer um we played to a click we didn't use any backing tracks at all um but we played everything live but i did play to a click and it was good because um you know like the producers they were telling me and said man you know it, it with this kind of music we're playing these are hits yeah and, and they wanted to be the same tempo when you're playing in Los Angeles or playing in Chicago or playing yeah. in Lexington, you know, I mean, they expect to hear that. Yeah. And I'm like, I got you, you know, and it, they made, and it, you know, it's a level of being a professional drummer. Well, you're and, probably triggered to lights and stuff too, right? I mean, or video or anything has to be synced up. Not really, man. Click, um, click doesn't come into play there. We didn't No, The click was just mainly to keep the tempos of the songs in. And, and oddly enough, I mean, Eddie and Troy didn't hear anything. Um, and believe it or not, I mean, cause drummers, We'll know this especially and I saw certain I mean we got to see a lot of people man yeah. we played with a lot of people in the oh. beginning um, a lot of great big uh, huge stars and uh, we saw how they operated and some of them I guess it depended on what side of the roller coaster they came on you know, up yeah. or down yeah. um, how they acted to their band and some yeah. of the bands have been there forever but the verbal abuse that some people would take and it was shocking it's like how in the world but whatever it, but Eddie Choi didn't have that you know yeah. and I was paranoid it's like man I've got two singers <laughs> Would tell me to speed up or slow down. Yeah, and, and and I can say the click might have saved me any fights because you can't argue with that click. No, you know, no. right? You know, I mean, and when you're used to it, now it's one thing. Now we all know this. I mean, you got a bunch of great dudes that can play, and you can bend the, the curve. Sure, yeah, that's the way to go. Uh, and everybody's on the same page. But when you got a band, you got certain arrangements, you got a big band, and you're spread out. That tempo's got to be the same, it's man. Because be. I can't tell you the the, the mind bends it playing a song and I'm playing it I'm looking thinking man that is way too fast yeah I look at the click but it's right on the meter I'm like okay and then vice versa man that is dragging that's that's one thing I've always that that always got me with people you know because I mean I I would have you know Joe Webb one guy that played for me you know always played with the click yeah you know and I remember it took me probably a couple of months in all honesty getting used to it because to me everything yeah. we played seemed like it was dragging yeah yeah right you know but he would you know if we was doing one of my songs he would get the tempo off off the cd off the album yeah. and he'd count it out and that's where it stayed right it's like you know because i'd be wanting to speed up sure this, sure so it, it, it's it's different and and i get uh you know like if i'm in the studio mm-hmm. i can't i can't do it man i mean i'm just I'm one of those guys, I just have to kind of feel something because, like, if there's a, a stop or a pause right, or somewhere, you know, right. I have to try to count it in my head because if they stick a click in my headphones yeah. and me trying to sing, I'm like, no, it, it no, just, no, uh, no, 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 no
I mean, I was able to jump on it. Um, I played a lot with records, you know, yeah. which a lot of the records, they were playing the clicks anyways, you yeah. know, so, but I remember Joe and them telling me, you know, hypnotic groove, dude, you want a hypnotic groove? Because the, you know, the Gary Gentry, you know, the, the records were cut really country. We had a lot of steel stuff on yeah. it, banjo even. But live, you know, we were just a bunch of rock guys, and we took the, let's play like Skinner, Southern Rock approach, yeah. and it worked. Yeah. And Troy and Eddie were really good entertainers, man. And, and you know, they had that strength, and we had played together a lot as a band. So we, yeah. we were a bunch of buddies, you know. Right. Um, that we went down, and we had Jimmy Matiak on acoustic guitar. He was from Atlanta, Georgia. He's our steel player. Randy Sorrells was from Atlanta, uh, road guys. And uh, Randy had played with uh, Hank Jr., but Randy had been, uh, he had, uh, he had had cancer and was in remission. He survived it. So, yeah. but he came and joined us. Then he recommended this guy named Jimmy and Jimmy was insane guitarist, man, just incredible player. So he joined in and with them being from Georgia, you know, their, their music scene was really similar to our scene. Right. And we were totally oblivious to, oblivious to how great Kentucky musicians were. We were in the pot of playing and we knew of everybody that was playing right. and how good everybody was, you know, but we yeah. thought that everybody else around there, you know, you go to Nashville, they're better. You go to New York, they're better. And, and you know, there are great musicians there, but the, the caliber players here, once we got out of here, we realized, man, there, yeah. there are so many bands that are so much better than these guys. Yeah. And we went to Nashville when we first went down there. You know, we started walking around on uh, going down to downtown, you know, yeah. and meeting other musicians. And they would say, "Well, who are you who are you playing with?" You know, and then because everybody's trying to get a gig and they yeah. find your information and who you're playing with you're in a new band Montgomery Gentry who's the management sure. you know who you with you know, yeah and what do you do and you know and next thing you know they're like wait man so and so called and said they want to try to get your position and you realize oh okay and uh, so you have Cut all throat. this you have all this other stuff coming at you like a chess match you know going okay this is cool so then you you meet these people and then you start playing and then eventually they would ask you like hey man where are you from we'd say well we're from Lexington Kentucky yeah and then people would kind of walk away from it and say what and, and then after a while you know, you're, time, you're like well what's wrong is it <laughs> what are we just yeah. bad people so we asked one of the producers and he said no man he goes I'll tell you what it kind of probably is he goes, there's a lot of good players coming from Kentucky. He said, down here, a lot of road guys are on the road from Kentucky, and they're yeah. good. He said, so if they ask you where you're from, and you say there, they're probably going, well, if you're from there, you got to be as good as these guys because you're working in the same circuit. Yeah. So they, they don't pursue it, and it made me feel good. I was like, wow, really? That's so it took, some, it took some pride in that. Yeah. So I remember that, and it showed, man, everywhere we were on the road with Kentuckians. Yeah. Yeah, they were better bands. And, and, you know, I'm not biased about that. It's just how it was. A yeah. lot of people know who know you are familiar with the, the rock star Tony Hammonds that we're getting these stories from. But uh, I want to know about the movie star Tony Tony Hammonds. <laughs> the movie star. Yeah. Well, we, Tell us about the, your movie experience. We had one experience. We did a TV show. We did Vegas. And you remember yeah. that show? It was called yeah. Vegas. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that one, yeah. And we did one episode of that, and it was an episode where um, um, the actress had changed out, and uh, it was like... Uh, new actor's first day on the job. And it was funny because that show, we had played the ACMs in Vegas. So you do the ACM awards and, you know, um, basically, um, it's three hours to to Los Angeles from from there. So we played that show and left that, uh, you know, left left Vegas, which was a big casino. So we leave a casino and we get in this bus and it was just not the whole band, just some of us. 
and Troy and Eddie and their wives and then uh, me and Frank and Bo. I don't think Bo didn't go. Um, Andy, our bass player. And, no, he didn't go because we had, <laughs> Troy had a, a, a assistant with him. So when we get to the gig, you know, like we, 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 we three hours and we leave Vegas like at two in the morning. Yeah. Where everybody else is getting ready to party, you know, you got people, John Ritz going, hey man, come up to my room. You're like, y'all ain't there, you're a bunch of, you know, yeah. like, well, oh, yeah. we're leaving. Yeah. They're like, yeah. he, you know, people laughing at you, ah, you gotta leave, you gotta leave. Yeah. And, um, and you're like, man. And then we, we get to the, we'll wake up in Hollywood and then we go to the, the set and it's another casino. And you're like, man, you know, if you somebody passed out and you carried them in here, they would they not know. know. The They'd walk out going, where the heck am I at? So we were laughing about that, you know, then we got to meet some people. And then, um, I remember, uh, we met, you know, some of the actors, they were really cool. So the event was, they had, uh, they had us sitting doing it. We we're doing a couple songs yeah. and the actress, they said, okay. So they had, they did a stage call. So on radio, they do this with videos too, or, you know, like, Hey people today at 10 o'clock, we're going to have this event. You know, you need yeah. to be dressed in this attire. This is going to be a shoot for whatever. So all these aspiring actors and actresses show up hoping they get seen and somebody yeah. say, you know, talent scouts say, Hey, that person there, cause that really happens. But yeah. you know, they, they had all these people there, tons of people. So we're like, this is wild. And they all came, they brought their luggage, like, cause it was a, uh, a group of people that was won a honeymoon and they were yeah. flying off at this event. So Eddie announces it. So, you know, so the producer's cool and we're talking and uh, we shoot the event and then we start laughing because we're standing around and, you know, we're like, like 30, 40 minutes to kill. And like, y'all don't leave. You know, we need you standing right here. So yeah. we're like, what are we going to do? <laughs> so Bo, our guitar player, was mad because he wanted to be on Vegas with us. And we were kind of ribbing him going, you <laughs> know, <and laughs> leaving. And so then uh, we got Troy's assistant because our keyboard player, Eddie K, we did this thing. He, he, it was his whole deal, man, the, the underground, the MG underground. Yeah. So you can get on their website and see a lot of these old episodes. But Eddie uh, shot it. And um, edited it because they gave uh, the label brought out a really high definition camera, so Eddie Troy could do interviews yeah. for TV and stuff without them having to go to a, you know it was right there on the spot. Right. So uh, they also used it for their social media stuff, and they were one of the first at the time. You know, Eddie was smart about running that. Uh, we did a lot of the, you know, just kind of fun stuff yeah. for us and. Yeah. You know, only people that was into him was into that. But it was fun. So, but we decided to shoot an episode. We're like, hey, let's get Troy's assistant and we'll do a shot of like we're jamming the scene. back. You know, like, a, you know, this is backstage. And we had Troy's assistant playing Bo's part. And, and then we, we, we planned this. So when we went out the next week, we had, we're like, hey, man, let's show that footage. And so we're sort of Bo's on the bus. And this, this shows up and that dude's playing guitar. And he's like, what is this, man? And we're like, oh, dude, he's in the band now. Did you not know yeah, that? Yeah, man. So, anyways, those kind of things happen, man. And then uh, the movie came around. Uh, we were out with Toby Keith on on uh, Toby Keith's tour, and uh, we were coming to Albuquerque, New Mexico. So, Robert Duvall, um, actor, uh, it, it was just this was a, a, a that movie was a spinoff of Tender Mercies, his movie. Yeah, he'd done yeah. In the years ago. Yeah, it's kind of it was a it wasn't the same movie, but it was kind of based off of that. Yeah. So Robert Duvall lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and this was Crazy Heart movie. And then uh, all we knew, uh, we got to the, um, then we got to the gig that day, and um, they had all those trailers around and all those Hollywood people running around. And um, so they came up and they said, "Well, we're going to have a scene where this, you know, we have a backing band, 
and uh, the McGurn Gentry Band is going to be what's the who's known the headliner. You know, you're going to be the backing band. So, so they gave us a track to listen to, and we it was a can. You know, we just played along with it. Yeah. But they gave it to us that day. <laughs> We're just like this. You know, okay. <laughs> so you know, and, and they knew like you know this is going to be a quick shoot. Yeah. And then um, we got to meet you know the actors. Uh, they were really cool. Was it Colin Farrell. Yeah, Colin was cool. He was really cool, man. And then uh, now that's who was supposedly singing and yeah. you were backing him, right? He, we were backing him. He was like the Kenny Chesney. Right, yeah. yeah. And Jeff Bridges, Jeff Bridges was, was, was like, you know, yeah, like, you know, you know the, one of the, the, the legends. It's right. been, been hard. Slipping downhill, yeah. Now, now, Jeff, was in, he was in character, man. I mean, yeah, you can see why he's such a great actor because that day you could not approach him. I mean, he he was that character. Yeah. If you said anything, Jeff, to him, I mean, you might have got your butt kicked by, by security. Wow. Because he was in that mode. Yeah. And he walked around a bit, you know, and, um, so that was how the movie came around with us. They said, you'll just be the backing man. And there at first they wanted Eddie and Troy and uh, Toby to be in it as well. Right. But in producer, they were like, you know, they're too, everybody knows who they are. That'll spoil yeah. the, the magic. You know, if they're right, not. Because these other two guys aren't real people. And if yeah. It's like, like, well, there's Toby Keith. He's playing steel. No. <laughs> that's, you know, Eddie and Troy's backup singers. What is that? You know, and, and so that's how they didn't get in it. And they were kind yeah. of disappointed, but. But that's how we got to do the movie, and um, you know we didn't make any money from it. I mean, I think we got paid like hundred bucks, you know, because yeah. it was it was even though we were mentioned in the movie yeah. at the very end of it, you know, it's, they said thanks to the McGarry Gentry Band, and you and still say like, you were in a movie. Exactly, you know. it, it was a great event, and we got to talk to Robert Duvall. He was I've awesome. been alerted to me. Right yeah, there. he was so cool, man. He was backstage. We watched this play, and he said, "Y'all," he said, "I really like your music," you know, and he was sincere. Yeah. And then we were like, man, he said, you know, um, we loved you and the Godfather. Too. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, that was one of my favorites. You know, but yeah, those were cool things, man. And that was some of the, the perks, you know. And then doing TV, um, award shows were cool because you're always meeting, seeing whoever, you know. And, yeah. um, you, you, and, and one time I remember being embarrassed because we were at the ACM Awards. And where they put the the yeah. artists in the green room, I mean, it's a little bitty, man. I mean, it's 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 you're cramped, you know. Yeah. I mean, you're you're on top of each other. And I remember me and I was talking to some drummer buddies, and we're just talking. And I remember I was back to back to Taylor Swift. She was literally back to back to me talking to her band member. Yeah. And we were just I don't know what we were talking about, but I did say that show business, and she said it at the same time, and she looked back at me. Like I was being a smart butt, you know, yeah, and I yeah. was like, "Oh gosh, I didn't mean to say that." You know? <laughs> and she said, "Oh," and and I was thinking, she probably thinks I'm a, you know, you know, and and it was just weird how things you talk and, but sure. I'm like, well, I'm sitting there talking to Taylor Swift all of a sudden, and then uh, you'd meet like Billy Gibbons, you know, yeah. ZZ Top, or, oh yeah, and it was just uh, magical, man. It really was cool, and then that was great. Then just traveling around the country, you know, and Canada, um, Brooks and Dunn tour. A neon circus tour. That, that that brings me up to my last question for you. Talking about traveling the country, I've I've started asking a lot of friends this, and I've noticed it's a simple question, but everyone has a different answer. And where you've literally played everywhere, I want to know what your favorite place you've played, and what place you haven't played that you still have on the bucket list. I would say, well, the favorite place was Rupp Arena, of course. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that was our, oh, gosh, we're playing Rupp Arena? Yeah. First time we played Rupp was with Kenny Chastney on his uh, his uh, first major tour. Yeah. And we did we did a lot of sheds with Kenny. And that, and that was when the My Town record was coming out before. We went on that tour with Kenny before the record was released. 
And then we they had My Town was in the can to be released as yeah. a single. But we played that record before it was released to people. And I remember we were the open that for Kenny then coming out. And we played most of that record. And they just sat there like, what is this? You know, they didn't. Yeah. They were like, what is this? They never heard it. Mm-hmm. Then later on, but by the time we got to Rupp Arena, everybody knew My Town. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was like, well, this is our. You know, and doing it there, especially. I mean, yeah. 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 And so that, and what they was shocked us was the fact that we had been playing arenas all over the country, these bas- bigger basketball arenas where they had the upper arenas. Yeah. So in our mind, you know, we were always like, Rupp Arena is the biggest arena in this country. You know, 20,000 <laughs> seats. You know, we're it's the biggest. It's the best anyway. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, so, and then when we got to Rupp Arena, it, I mean, I hate saying this, but it looked like a high school arena. Right. It was like, oh my gosh, what happened? Did they shrink it? You know, what, it was just the perspective of it. But then we took it in. I mean, we're at Rupp oh, Boys. Yeah. We're at Rupp Arena. And then, um, then they, then Eddie and Troy started headlining. We did a couple. They were supposed to do five of them. We did three. Yeah. We did one with Charlie Downey's band with Leonard Skinner and yeah. with Sticks. Y'all and, done a New Year's Eve thing down there a couple of years. Yeah, ago. that was that was those three. There was okay. the first New Year's Eve. I think it was with uh, Charlie Daniels. Okay. And then the next one was with Sticks, and the third one was with Leonard Skinner. And I, I mean, I might get those mixed up, but they decided not to do the next two. They had a five-year contract, yeah. and that was an idea from the promo, promoter uh, that was really good at promoting tours. He did a lot of stuff for Brooks and Dunn, and um, but it was his idea because he had yeah. done it with some other acts and said, "Man, you, you know, your local, you, you guys could do Rupp Arena." Yeah, because Eddie Troy was always conscious of that. So, man, it'd be embarrassing to play Rupp Arena <laughs> and nobody show up. And uh, but they, you know, it did good, man, yeah. and, and it was cool because you had fans in front. You know, fan, oh, yeah. it was really stressful on you because you know it's hard to it's hard for people to understand. You know, you got a job to do, and, and it's real demanding. And, and there is no there is no mistakes, man. Yeah. It's, it's not tolerated. And that's in the back of your mind all the time. You sure. know, no matter what you've done, you've got to go through and play good. And if even if you're sick and dying, you got to go through and play go. good. Show must it, go on. It's exactly what it is. And then you've got pressure of your family, and you know, you're worried about them. You know, you got friends. You know, can you get me backstage? And you're like, <laughs> you know, and you want to help everybody you can. And it's 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 really stressful. So when those shows were over. It was a it was a big achievement of yes you know yeah, yeah. you survived it but it was a great feeling man to do that and say yeah man we played Rupp Arena yeah. so that was the best that was the best yeah. and and then in terms of the bucket list show would be never played Red Rocks I would love to play Red Rocks yeah because you know, that's just a magical oh, yeah. magical yeah. place yeah. we had played up there in the Columbia River a bunch um the place you used to play man you're hanging off the side of a cliff. Literally, right. the stage is hanging off the side of a cliff. Wow! And and there there's kind of bit rocks. The, the is the stands. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like Red Rock. It's similar, but not as elaborate. Yeah. But you can see the Columbia River. You know, and it's, you're hanging off this mountain, and then you can you can see this little valley. <laughs> yeah. So in your in the winds and try and yeah. these huge girders that are up there holding up everything, man. And you know, you're looking like man, if you fall, because it's really you, you're you're got safety stuff. Yeah. But it's still spooky. And then you start realizing that um, you could, if you wanted to, you thought you can think, well, I'll walk down to the Columbia River. Yeah. Well, that'll take you two days. You know, wow. <laughs> you don't realize it. Plus, it's That's infested crazy. with rattlesnakes. If you get to a certain <laughs> point, there's these signs that says, you know, you cannot go past here without snake boots. Wow. And they're just like, there's rattlesnakes. It's just everywhere. So, but you get to, you know, those kind of places yeah. up in, that was in Oregon. Um, and then just, you know, we went to Iraq and played over, over the military. And Kuwait, yeah, that was pretty insane. Yeah, that that was incredible. Real quick, Tony, uh, 
I'm I'm really glad you ha- you came out and did this with us. Well, thanks uh, for having this me. This is actually going to air tonight, and since you are still currently playing, where are you playing this weekend? You got anything coming yeah. up? Yeah, let, let the people know where they can come see you. Well, Thursday, Thursday night, playing at Elixir down in Lexington. Across, it's after Thursday Night Live with Elvis yeah. Cocktail, and then Friday playing in Corbin, Kentucky with uh, a band that's buddies of mine from Corbin, and. Uh, we are doing it. It's just the Nid Brock Festival. Yeah. And um, we're, we're playing that. And then Saturday night, I'm playing with Stick Tight Adkins for his thing. He's called uh, Hometown Concert. Awesome. Yeah. So Stick Tight. Yeah. And uh, so um, Rhythm City Groove is the band I'm playing with Friday. So, cool. But I'm playing with a lot of cats, Georgia included, and John. We play from time to time. Hopefully, we'll do it again soon. Yeah, man. But I appreciate you having me. We, Love might you guys. Have, we might have to have you again. Yeah, there's a lot of stories. Everybody knows me. You know, I can tell a story, and uh, I'm super glad to do it. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Cool, Thanks, man. Thanks, Tony. That concludes today's episode of Weekend Superstars with John McHugh and George Moulton. We want to thank Tony Hammonds again for being our guest tonight. So many good stories. We're probably going to have to have him back for an episode two one day just to cover everything. We didn't even come close to scratching the surface. Make sure and check us out on Facebook, Weekend Superstars with George Moulton and John McHugh. You can listen to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Music. Later.